0: Good morning, those of you at home and uh, those of you here, well, it's been five, six weeks where uh, the only people that have been in the room have been uh, worship team and tech people, and so it's, uh, it's good to see some smiley faces this morning, and uh, for those of you at home, uh, we are uh, looking forward to when we'll be able to see you again in person, and uh, I just want to stop for just a minute, and I want us to just uh, uh, reflect for a moment. That right now as we gather here and as we gather online, that this is a holy moment, that this is a gathering of God's people uh, for the purpose of worshiping Him and for the edification of the Word of God. And therefore, uh, we are blessed that we have the Word of God. We're blessed that we can meet in person uh, and we can also have the technology uh, to be uh, together at home. And so uh, I just want to Pray, and I want to ask you to join me. Um, Father, we ask that you would work in our hearts, that whatever uh, things are distracting us, whatever worries, whatever anxieties, whatever trouble we may be facing, would be things that um, obviously aren't forgotten about, but uh, something that we can trust you in. We ask, Lord, that uh, in this moment, gathered here and afar, that you would be glorified in the lives of your people. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would teach us from your word, and so we ask for a blessing on the reading and the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been going through the book of Luke, and we come to chapter 7. And in chapter 7, we run into four different people. All four people have a different story. There is a soldier, there's a widow, there is a prophet, and a prostitute. And so this month, we're going to look at all four of their stories, or if you want to say their accounts of Jesus' interaction with them. And I asked myself, why are these stories in the Word of God? And in each of these, we see the life of a person, the story of their interaction and their account with Jesus. And from each of them, there is a biblical truth that we learn from them. And so this month, we'll be in chapter 7. Uh, This week, though, I found an interesting article by a life coach in Canada. And here's what he says about how to have faith in yourself, how to believe in yourself. He says this, "...at times it can be hard for you to believe in yourself. If you're having trouble introspecting and seeing all the amazing things you possess and all the beautiful things you could offer to make this world a better place, there are simple things that you can do to start believing in yourself." And he had a huge list. Here's a few of the things of how you can believe in yourself, how you can have faith in yourself. Number one is this. Make a list of all your past accomplishments to help you believe in yourself. Number two, talk to people who love you and ask them to tell you what you are good at. Number three is find a cause that uh, you believe in so that you'll be inspired to work harder so that you can achieve more. Number four is set goals And work hard until you achieve it. Number five, make sure every day there's self-reflection on yourself. Um, Number six, be persistent with your goals and achieve so you can believe in yourself. Number seven, build yourself up. Think positively about yourself. Number eight, focus on the positive things about how good you are. And the last one I wrote down was take care of yourself. And through the article, I mean, it was a long one. It goes on and on telling you how to believe in yourself, how to care for yourself, how to have faith in yourself about how good you are. And then there ran across a couple of quotes. One says, believe in yourself, have faith in your abilities. Without a humble but reasonable confidence in your own powers, you cannot be successful or happy. Does Some of this sound familiar? Do you hear these things in our world today? Uh, do you see these things uh, being taught to us at, at an early age? Uh, this one uh, was, kind of blew me away. It says, wouldn't it be powerful if you fell in love with yourself so deeply that you would do just about anything if you knew it would make you happy? This is precisely how much life loves you and wants you to nurture yourself. The deeper you love yourself, the more the universe will affirm your worth. Then you can enjoy a lifelong love affair that brings you the richest fulfillment from inside out. You see, our world is constantly teaching us and teaching children at a very young age to believe in yourself, to have faith in yourself, that anything and everything to make you happy in life is going to come from your own hard work and uh, your uh, belief in yourself. Today we look at this soldier uh, who... Does not believe in himself, but is one who places his faith in another and is a great example for us today in how we should live our life in this world. The big idea that we see from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10 this morning is this true faith is found in trusting Jesus for everything in life. True faith is found in trusting Jesus for everything in life. I want to read to you Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he went to him or he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue and Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel I have found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. The word of God. I want you this morning to put yourself in the place of this soldier. I want you to uh, put yourself in his position who you have a slave. You have a servant that you care for dearly who is dying. And look at the responses of what happens here. The first thing we see in verses 1-5 through is we see a description of a worthy person, a worthy man. If you don't know much about Rome's army, Uh, Centurions were soldiers of soldiers. They led uh, groups of approximately a hundred other soldiers, and they knew uh, all about authority. This centurion, this man with a lot of authority, a lot of power, is the one who calls out for Jesus to come. He's a slave. He has a servant. uh, And this servant is dying or at the point of death and this centurion cares greatly for him. So put yourself in the position of that soldier and that slave, someone who you love dearly, who is dying. Many times when we have loved ones close to us who are dying, there is desperation in our hearts. This man is desperate for his slave to be healed. And he sees that there is a possibility in who he sees as the man Jesus. If you look at me at verse 3, it says, when the centurion heard about Jesus, well, how did he hear about Jesus? What would have drawn him to hear about Jesus? Well, there had already been miracles done by Jesus in Canaan where, uh, where, uh, where he's at. Jesus had turned water into wine. Also, the Gospel of John chapter 4 is the account where in the same area, Jesus heals a, a government official's dying son. And I wonder if that's a, that account of him, Jesus healing this dying son, if you thought, hey, he did that for that boy, that son. He could do that for my servant. Well, in verse 3, he hears about him, and so what he does is he sends the elders of the Jews living in that area who are connected with the synagogue, and they say, hey, would you go to Jesus and ask Jesus to come and heal my servant? Well, the Jewish elders... They approach Jesus, and if you look at verse 4, a great statement they say about this man. They say, Jesus, this centurion is worthy to have you come and heal his dying slave. This man is worthy. So again, it's a great thing when anyone says uh, nice things about us, right? We want to be known in the community. We want people that we are going to school with, people that we work with, our neighbors, we want them to say good things about us. Uh, For Even to make that statement, that person is worthy, is a great statement. That person is worthy of respect. Well, these Jewish leaders respected this centurion. He is worthy, Jesus, for you to go and heal his dying slave. And I thought about, wait a minute here. They have respect and they call this man worthy. Wait, he's a Gentile. The Gentiles are dirty dogs to the Jews. Why would they even care about this Roman soldier? The Jews don't like Rome. The Jews want Rome out of there because they're being oppressed by them. Yet they say, Jesus, this man is worthy. Well, think about this. In the world's eyes, there's things that you and I can do that the rest of the world would sit back and go, oh, that person's worthy that person is honorable. That is a good person. And it's generally based off of good things that we do for others. Look at verse five. Here's how they describe why he's worthy. For he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue. So here you got a couple of good works that are listed. He is worthy. Jesus, he has merit, he has value. And again, Is this just some nice guy, or how did they come to this conclusion? Well, number one, they say that he loves our nation. Maybe he fears God, Yahweh. Maybe that's why they say he loves our nation. We don't know, but uh, they say he loves our nation. Or is it mainly is he worthy because of good works towards the Jewish nation? He built their synagogue. And I was like, wait, why would a Roman soldier, a centurion, build a synagogue for the Jews? Well, I was reading through a historian named Josephus, and he had pointed out that there were different Gentiles who would build or invest and be generous with their money for synagogues to be built. So not only did this Roman uh, soldier build it, but possibly he paid for it. Or paid for a lot of it and so he's generous he does the work and so for the the Jewish leaders like hey he's worthy Jesus he's a good man he's done all of these great and wonderful things actually when I read it I'm like man I like this guy I'd be, I want to be friends with this guy especially since he's a soldier he sounds like a really good guy he has a slave and he has compassion uh, for that slave who is dying he's possibly generous man I want to be around this guy What's important, though, and what we see in this, especially at Jesus' last remark about marveling at this man's faith, is that none of these things that are good that this man did uh, is anything that would make him worthy to be saved or his slave to be saved from anything. And that's because of what we see that in his own declaration, verses 6-8, through he's an unworthy soul. He's an unworthy soul of having Jesus not only heal his slave but jesus even enter his house and that's out of the soldier's own mouth not by anyone not by jesus but he himself recognizes that he's an unworthy soul look at verses six it says and jesus went with them so jesus hears the elders he says i'll go with you when he was not far from the house The centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. You see, something happens in this soldier's heart and he realizes that he is unworthy. The Jewish leaders, he's worthy. The soldier's like, I am not worthy. And he's very quick to acknowledge this. He needs Jesus' help. And he comes to Jesus with a humble heart. And that humility is what Jesus takes note of in the fact that this man has faith. It's his humility that attracts many of us to this soldier and this story about what happens here. It draws Jesus' attention to this man's faith. And so humility is the key to faith. Humility is the key to faith. This guy has a need for help. He knows that Jesus can heal him. And he comes humbly to Jesus. Not only is he not worthy in a sense to send, you know, to go and approach Jesus. He's like, man, I can't have Jesus come in my house. Jesus can't come in my house. I am unworthy. I mean, as a soldier to be a centurion of how he got to that point, maybe he's murdered. He's killed a number of people in battle, taking their life. And that weighs upon his heart. I can't. Jesus can't come my home. Maybe he just knows in his heart how sinful he is. God's working on his heart. But he's like, Jesus can't even come into my house. And knowing that you and I stand unworthy before the Lord is a very good place to be in. To know that we are people who are not worthy of Christ is a good place to start. And therefore we need to have a humble heart as the soldier here reminds me of Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah sees uh, the Lord seated on the throne and instantly he sees the glory of God and he sees the holiness of God and it's like, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And and, and it's like this, he's just humbled immediately before the Lord. If you go back to Luke chapter 5 that we were in uh, a few months ago, Uh, there's a miraculous catch of fish. Jesus with the disciples in the boat. He said, hey, cast the net on the other side. And they catch, we've been fishing all night, Jesus, but because you say so, we'll do that. They bring in this huge, huge uh, load of fish. The nets are tearing. And Peter stops and realizes his unworthiness. He says, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. You see, both Jesus, I mean, both the soldier, both Peter, Isaiah, they recognize the Lord when they see him in his glory and his holiness. Therefore, it's a good thing that you and I would be people who would agree that we are unworthy of the Lord. Luke chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus taught of the uh, that what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and he taught the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we were there just a couple of weeks ago. And for, So for those who are poor in spirit, those who realize that they are unworthy before the Lord, those who realize that they are bankrupt spiritually are in a good place because they are the ones who will inherit the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus teaches. But to be able to even be humbled in your heart there's something that has to happen before that and what has to happen that is recognizing authority is the key to humility recognizing Jesus as Lord is important for this man to come humbly because this man knows all about authority as a Roman soldier as a centurion he has a hundred approximately a hundred men under him he gives an order and they do that He's been given an order from above, and he does that. He knows authority, and he knows it well. But recognizing authority is the key to humility. So he doesn't demand Jesus. I mean, again, he's a soldier over that area. I mean, he could just be like, "Hey, have Jesus brought here? Jesus, heal this guy now, because I command you to." But he doesn't. He doesn't do that because his heart is struck with humility because he recognizes authority when he sees it. Look at verse 7. It says, Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. You see, he sends his friends to Jesus now and says, Jesus, don't come to my house. Would you just say the word and heal him? I'm like, wow. This guy's heard, obviously, some things about Jesus He recognizes the authority of Jesus to say, hey, just say the word. I mean, if you look at the Gospels, one of the accounts is uh, Jesus is in a boat with the disciples and wind comes down off the mountains and the sea is just turbulent and the disciples think they are going to die. Water is sinking the boat and Jesus is asleep and they're like, Jesus, do you even care about us? You're sleeping. And And he gets up and rebukes the wind and the waves with the word. Now, that's authority over all of creation, over all of the universe. This man knows that Jesus, because he's heard what Jesus can do, and therefore he knows that he has authority, and he asks that, the man, that Jesus would come and heal his servant. Look at verse 8. He explains his understanding of authority to Jesus through his friends. He says, For I, too, am a servant of under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. He sees Jesus with absolute authority, and that knowledge is based on what he's heard of Jesus. Again, he's heard that Jesus heals the sick. I wonder wonder if he's heard the accounts of Jesus saying a word and casting demons out of people who were possessed by demons. We know that as the Gospel of Luke continues, the crowds grow and follow Jesus because of what they hear and what they see, which all points to his authority over all things. Really what happens in this, when you look at this, is he's making a confession. He's confessing Jesus as the one with authority. And I was wondering, how do you and I identify with this soldier today? How do you identify with the humble heart that you see in him? How do you identify with this soldier who confesses that Jesus is the one with all authority? We need to be in that place that we have humbled our hearts and we recognize Jesus as Lord, because without it, um, we have an eternity uh, of separation from God before us. But I want you to think for a minute if you've seen a, a set of those scales that have the chains on them and you can put the weights on to balance things out, you know, uh, think about that. And I want you to, to picture the scale and put every single good thing you've ever done in your life. I mean... Think about all the things you've done in school, sports, uh, all the things you've done for neighbors or things you've volunteered, every single thing that would be like people like, hey, that's a good thing. Put it right there. Whatever degrees you've gotten, whatever promotions and work, whatever it may be, just put it right on that side of the scale. And then I want you to put your heart on this side. And I I want you to think about, man, the things that I've done that are not righteous and holy to God how do those things really weigh out because that's what our world puts in stock is everything you do good and if you do all these things good then you should have good done to you but weigh those things out to your heart to your, your 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 sinfulness and your great things and you have i have to ask you the question are you worthy are you worthy Because the Jewish elders said this man was worthy, Jesus. And we see that Jesus does no acknowledgment of the good things that this man did. Only of his faith. So how do you identify with this soldier? You know, too many people believe that, again, they put all this good work in and all these things and that they deserve to go to heaven because they've done good things. Even good churchy things. I attended church, I gave money, I went to Sunday school, I did all these things, God, so I should go to heaven. If you start there, your heart's not in a place of humility because none of us, not one of us deserve heaven. Not one of us deserve heaven at all because we are not worthy. Would you look at Romans chapter 3? Romans chapter 3 is one of those passages of Scripture that just breaks the heart. If you think that you are worthy, if you think that you are worthy of being with the Lord, uh, then read Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Read that passage of Scripture to people who think they've done a lot of good works in life. And you may find it amazing the number of people that say, no way am I that bad. No way am I like that. And that's because of a pridefulness of the heart and the lack of seeing clearly the authority of Christ, which leads to humility. The Apostle Paul goes on, and in Romans chapter 6, a couple of chapters later, he writes this, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. So because all of us are unworthy, just like we read in Romans chapter 3, the result then for all is death. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The grace of God. The amazing, astounding, glorious truth that wrecks our hearts is that I, who think that I can do this and that to please God so that He would accept me and He would save me. It's worth nothing. And it's all on Jesus Christ and His grace and what He does to us to change our hearts and to make us His own. For the wages of sin and death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are unworthy souls, and the sooner that we recognize that, the better for our life. The sooner that you recognize that you're sinful before the Lord and that your good works are going to do nothing for you in life is a good place to be in. That you are spiritually bankrupt is a good place to be in because that's at the point when God begins to work in your heart and reveal the gospel to you, and through the work of God, Can lead a person to place their faith in him, to be like the soldier Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to come into my heart. I'm not worthy for you to even heal my heart, but with a word, he heals the servant. I mean, did you catch that in the story? Jesus never goes into the house, he says a word, and the servant is healed. I mean, there's not a lot of tension. It's all drawn to the faith of that man, but Jesus says a word and can heal that servant. And by the work of Christ, He can heal your heart and make you His own and make you holy and make you righteous. That work can be summed up in just looking at the cross. That work can be the cross as a summary in the sense that because of our sin, we face hell for eternity, but God in His great loving kindness for us that He would send His Son Jesus God in the flesh who would take upon your sins and my sins at the cross and he would die and his blood would be shed and not just to cover over our sins so God doesn't see them, but to think about that all of your sin would be removed forever. And Jesus Christ died and the third day he rose again. And he, was, uh, uh, he walked with His disciples for a period of time and He ascended to heaven. And it says in the Word of God that He's ruling and reigning now and that He is returning. Therefore, in summary, that is the good news. That is the Gospel. You have heard the Gospel just like the soldier heard about the work of Christ. Therefore, every single one of you listening now has the responsibility to respond Or to not respond to the Gospel. It's not at all about a thing of like, I choose to believe You, Jesus. No, you've heard the Gospel. God works on your heart and He gives people the ability to go, wow, Jesus, You love Me. I believe in You. And He does the saving work so that we get no credit that we did anything to save ourselves. And it's all about the work of God giving us the faith to believe in Him Look at verses 9-10. through This faith is what Jesus is drawn to and what He points out. You see, again, He doesn't say, oh yeah, you know what? Because He built the synagogue, because He loves His servant, I'll heal the slave. Not at all. This guy is worthy. I'm going to go to his house. No. He doesn't even point out that the guy has a a good character or he's a good guy. He points to the man's faith. Look at what Jesus says in verse 9. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. You see, um, faith in Christ has never been some illogical thing, some unsound leap of faith. The world would want to describe Christians that way and say, "Well, you just blindly follow Jesus. You blindly do this." But the description of that is generally a negative thing that uh, believers don't are just illogical in in their following of Christ. Well, here's a description of faith in Hebrews chapter eleven. Hebrews chapter eleven is a great chapter for you to read this week. And there's a description of all a bunch of people who had faith in God and what that led them to do in following Him. But here's what it says in verses 1-3 through of Hebrews 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old, speaking of the people that we have recorded in the Old Testament, received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created By the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith is trusting in Jesus, who is the authority, because he is God. And your faith comes from your knowledge of Christ and the illumination of of the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you would see Jesus and follow him. I know we've gone through this before, but scripture teaches us that as an unworthy, sinful person, you never just stop and go, I'm gonna stop what I'm doing and follow Jesus today. It always, always, always begins with the work of God in your heart. John 6:44, uh, calling us to Jesus so that we would place our faith in him. Again, I, I don't know why, but I wrote this question at the beginning of the week on my notes. God, why did you put this account of the soldier here in the Word of God? Because the Word of God teaches us that the Bible, the Word of God, is God's words. That it's literally through the Holy Spirit given to men to write down His words. So, God, why would you put the soldier story, ten verses, in the Bible? It's like, wow, well, there's something here. And it has to do about this man's faith because Jesus is amazed by this guy's faith. And then I thought about how many other people are stories about their faith recorded in the word of God. Well, because we're in the Gospel of Luke, I just began to look through the Gospel of Luke. And there are are chapter after chapter after chapter people who Jesus points out the faith that they have. Here's a few of them. There's a paralyzed man in Luke chapter 5 that we've already studied. And his friends brought him and tore open the roof and lowered him down before Jesus. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 5, verse 20, when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And he heals the man. In Luke chapter 7, and we'll see this in a few weeks, at the end of this chapter, this woman is anointing Jesus' feet. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 50, he says, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In Luke chapter 18, there's a man who's blind, a person who cannot see. And Jesus says, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. We already mentioned it, but in Luke chapter 8, you have this point where Jesus calms a storm with one word. And after that, says to his disciples, where is your faith? Why were you doubting Again, true faith is found in trusting Jesus for everything in life. So I ask you this, how powerful is Jesus? How sovereign is God? What has Jesus done that no one else can do? It's a good thing for you to have a right view of Jesus. Because if you have a right view of Jesus, you're going to have a right view of your heart. And you're going to see Jesus as holy and worthy and us as unworthy people until a work of God in which He actually makes us His own and He says that you are holy. I mean, think of that. If you're a follower of Christ, that God would declare that you are holy. Well, that truth is only because of the righteous work of Christ in our life. Do you believe that Jesus says a word and creates the universe? Not only stop the storm, do you believe that Jesus can save a person from death? Not just physically, but spiritual death. Let me ask you this, is there anything, I mean, search your heart right now, is there anything that right now, in the midst of your life, that you are trusting yourself in more than you trust God? What are those things that are causing anxiety, worry, trouble, that you easily place trust in yourself more than God and the result is your anxiety the result is your worry because if you read in Luke chapter 12 Jesus says don't worry and many times we're like that's easier said than done I still have this problem Jesus I still am anxious I'm still worrying my job is I'm not working right now I don't know where money's going to come from Uh, my health, I'm dealing with cancer. Uh, God, this, this, and this. And you tell me not to worry? What if I die? Well, if you have a relationship with Christ and you die, then that's a good thing because you get to be with Him for eternity. As much as the things that we like in this world, uh, they fade away. And being with Jesus in person, face to face, is greater than anything in this earth. But Jesus says, don't worry. And in that text in Luke chapter 12 he says oh you of little faith he goes on to say this your father our heavenly father knows what you need he also goes on and says that the father's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom if you read in Matthew and you read in Luke the account of Jesus teaching these things is that our good heavenly father knows what we need before it even happens in our life and he wants to bless his children he wants to give you good things therefore Put your trust in God, not in yourself or the things that you can accomplish. I wonder how many people in the midst of this whole coronavirus thing that's happened worldwide have been scrambling, have been so worn out. I mean, they are so ready to end everything because they are trying to fix their situation and they can't. I mean, isn't it frustrating when you lose control of things in your life, I can remember different people at churches over the years that were older who were so upset when they lost their ability to drive. I can't drive anymore. The doctor says I can't, or you're, you know, this or that, whatever. When we lose control, that's a horrible thing. And it's a reality It shows where we put our trust in. It's uh, troubling things at at times when we examine our heart to see what we uh, believe in, what we place our faith in, or not. In Luke chapter 17, there's an account where Jesus comes off the mountain. He's been with three of the disciples Um, up on the mountain. There's a man down the, the hill with the other disciples, and he has a son. That's demon-possessed, and the demon's been trying to kill this child. I mean, to think about, it. it says it's thrown him into fire, tries to drown him. Imagine you having a child and it's demon-possessed, and the demon's trying to kill him. This man goes to Jesus' disciples because he's heard of Jesus, he's heard of the miracles, and nothing is happening to get rid of this demon. And so in Luke chapter 7, I'm sorry, in, 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 in Luke and then also in Mark chapter 9, there's this point at which this man uh, then comes to Jesus and he calls out to Jesus. In Mark chapter 9 it says, it has often cast him into the fire and to the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Any of you in that boat today? Any of you struggling with things going, I believe, (laughs) but help my unbelief. Jesus, I believe in you but I'm struggling because of this problem. I need you to help me. The disciples say in Luke chapter 17, they say, Jesus, give us faith. He goes on to say, if you have just even tiny faith, he describes it like a mustard seed. This and that, This and that will happen. But I want to encourage you this morning to follow the example of the soldier. To recognize that Jesus is the authority. And through that, would humble your heart, that you would realize that you need Jesus, that there's nothing good in this world that you can do, just like we started when I read you all those things. Hey, believe in yourself. Do these things about yourself. Have faith in yourself. That's what the world wants you to believe. But here's what we have in Ephesians chapter 2, 8-10. through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As the worship team comes forward, I want you to reflect again this morning on that big idea. True faith is found in trusting Jesus for everything in life. If you're a follower of Christ and there's trouble in your life right now, Jesus says you have trouble in this world. What are those things that you're trusting in yourself in to overcome? And you need to go, wow, Lord, forgive me. I need to trust in you. You've done a saving work in me. I can't fix these things apart from you. I was reminded a week ago when I asked a person a question and uh, this person said, Lord willing, this will happen. I'm like, oh, that's, What a good statement to say. Lord willing, if this would happen in my life. Lord willing, if this does not happen in my life then those things are according to God's plan, it's a good place to be in. And if you are here, if you're tuning in online and you have come to a place in your life where today uh, you've heard the gospel and you've heard that Jesus loves you greatly and that you are unworthy of his love, it's a good place to be in. And I would say this, listen to the Holy Spirit. Believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that he died for your sins, that he rose again and he's returning. And the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work and God gives you the faith to believe in him and uh, you'll be saved. And as we just take a minute to pray, I would encourage all of you to again evaluate your heart. Where are you at with trusting the Lord today? How strong is your faith in him? Need to be like the Father who says, I believe. I need more faith, in Jesus, to believe. Maybe you have strong faith. Your faith is amazing, like Jesus took note of the soldier. There's others around you that need to be encouraged to turn to Jesus and to see your faith in him. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful that. You love us so much that we are people who are unworthy of you and yet you loved us first we want to be people who are humble we want to be people who acknowledge you that you are the sovereign ruler of the universe and Lord at times we see the things in this world and we struggle and we want to go back to trusting ourselves Holy Spirit would you Open up our eyes, our hearts, our ears to see that we are in so need of your help. That we are in need even just to breathe at this moment. So, Father, build our faith. Help us to trust you more today. And Father, for all those who have been far off and heard the gospel today, I pray that you would give them faith to believe in you. In Jesus' name.